Friends, as we continue uh, together in Haggai, it's the uh, second shortest book in the entire Bible, and we're just going to be looking at the first nine verses uh, together there in Haggai 2, and uh, so you'd be really well uh, benefit you just to turn there if you can. It's right at the end of the Old Testament. If you get to the New Testament, if you get to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've just gone a bit too far. Just go back a few pages and you'll find Haggai there. Last week, we saw how the Israelites had returned from exile uh, due to their disobedience and how in the intervening uh, sort of 16 years or so, we know that by the dates that we're given, uh, they had not been prioritizing the rebuilding of God's temple in Jerusalem. And it was just sitting there, lying in ruins. God was speaking and using a man, his chosen prophet Haggai, to bring his word and calling them to do this and pointing out all the ways they had struggled with their crops and other areas. All of that was from him. And he had withheld his reign and withheld abundance from them as he had promised. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, since I moved to the UAE uh, about a, just over a year ago, I have been continually shocked and surprised at the sheer quantity of public holidays. There have been so many times where I've tried to, to buy something or get something fixed or arrange something or visit an office and I've been told where someone says, oh, sorry, we only open at 4 p.m. today or we're closed, but it is 11 a.m. on a Thursday, so maybe you should come back next week. And so I go, but it's closed again and then also just find myself repeatedly saying, what do you mean the kids are off school again? How is that possible? I have to admit there are so many things, so many times where there's just been slow progress on projects. It can be frustrating. It's hard to get stuff done. Really, I think this is very similar to what we see uh, where the Israelites are at in Haggai 2. And just really this whole book. They're trying to get things done. Uh, Right there at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. The people now, they have this huge task ahead of them, the rebuilding of the temple. And we know as the readers that in its most basic form, this is going to take them four years or so to build. I mean, you only have to walk around my neighborhood or I'm sure yours to see how long it takes buildings to be built, all the different stages. This wasn't just any building. This is the temple The last one had been completely destroyed. And so here they are, trying to figure out how to start again. Piles of rubble on the one hand and festival after festival on the other. As we get to the text, the date tells us that we're right here, the final day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. It's a busy time. Jerusalem would have been full of people, camped out, festival mood. Just imagine what it's like during Ramadan or Christmas, maybe where you're from, those kind of things. People are not getting much done. So turn with me, uh, and really I want to see in the text where again the Lord encourages his people. Let's look at Haggai 2 verses 1 to 9 together. Let me read it for us. It says, in the seventh month, 
on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, In a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place... I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Friends, as we look at the text, I think the main point of this passage, and so really the main point of our time together, is when all around lies in rubble, God is still glorious. When all around lies in rubble, God is still glorious. I think our text Uh, breaks down into three different parts. So those are going to be our three points. The first point, just in verses one to three, the purpose of God's message. The purpose of God's message. Then in verses four to five, point number two, the power of God's presence. The power of God's presence. Then point three in verses six to nine. The prestige and peace of God. The prestige and peace of God. To look there at our first three verses, point number one, the purpose of God's message. Look there at Haggai 2, and again, what we start with, just another date. Again, it carries a purpose. This was the final day of the festival of tabernacles, like Other celebrations, it would have been a time of feasting and other festivities, especially living in tents. But it was a celebration of God being tabernacled, being tabernacled with his people, meaning he was housed with them. I don't think it's meaningless uh, that this theme of God's home with his people is really just the center point of this next speaking. This had come about when that people were on Mount Sinai and he was with them by day and by night. And it was a celebration of what God had done and what he had promised and what would be the case to come when he would dwell with them. These messianic promises are made and then kept in a time to come. This festival had really kind of three simple key aspects to it, and I don't think we should skim over those. They were the presence of God. They were the importance of water and God's provision. And then also the centrality of light, of God's guidance. 
This was the reason why water and light were a main part of the festival. It's the same festival that Jesus uses to highlight how he is the light of the world and how it is he that people should come to if they are thirsty and have a need of living water. These things would not, this, this memory of even a time like this would not have been lost on those that Jesus was teaching. The festival timing not missed here by the Israelites hearing Haggai as they considered God's guidance, as they considered his provision, how he was to be tabernacled, housed with his people. These are just not cute coincidences for us, but clear uses by God to to reinforce this to his people. I want you guys, I want us this morning to see these same things as we read the Bible, as we understand it more and more. We want you to see these links. We need to understand and not just be a red letter Christian, not just someone who looks only at what Jesus has said and just throw away the rest, throw away the Old Testament, throw away books like Haggai. It's clear we This is here chosen by God for us. That's why we're looking at it even just these next two or three weeks. All of the things here, friends, decisions by God, chosen by God for the benefit of these people and for us here in Ras al-Khaimah today. He's given them uh, to us for our encouragement and for our good. So the purpose we'll see in God speaking in a second is to encourage a discouraged people to encourage a discouraged people this people in Jerusalem and no doubt goes for people here today there are some that are discouraged in the midst of this festival about God's presence at the heart of their community there was no temple the work had slowed so in verse 1 we're given the date and we know that the Lord is speaking through Haggai once more. It's Haggai's hand God is using to write this. Perhaps you don't know the God of the Bible. Perhaps you're just here this morning listening to the Bible for the first time wondering what God is like. I think we are going to see through this passage today. I hope it's clear to you as you hear this message as we look at this tiny book in the Old Testament that he is a loving and merciful God who cares about people coming to him cares about his people knowing him and trusting him friends the god of the bible is a god of great comfort a god of great joy a god of great peace even in his perfect judgment and holiness he's in he's inviting people he's lovingly calling to them to follow him and trust him and we'll see he's going to tell them that he is with them. You see this as we look at the whole passage together. He is a God of peace and he cares and he is with his people. Then we turn to this speech in verse 2. What we see immediately again, God's clarity in his address. Again, the speaking to Zerubbabel and Joshua in Hag- like in Haggai 1. Both with their, their heritage, uh, who they were, what family they're from, their jobs included. Zerubbabel, the leader of the people here, he's mentioned first and we'll come back to him later in the chapter in a couple of weeks, but we get a glimpse here each time of his importance, of how 
God's man is in the right place by God's choice. Darius is on the throne, but Zerubbabel is here. He's a descendant from the Davidic line, a king in waiting, blood in his veins, carrying the hope of one who will come, a savior that God would provide, that would finally save the people just as he promised. The blood, the hope, the promise, and all these tiny details, just small, tiny details in these verses for us to to not skim over, but just to look at and examine, to hold up, to marvel at. We need to understand our Bibles. And as we understand all that God was doing and we see his hand is in it all, so each part of it, every word here for us, so complex, so detailed, but also so wonderfully simple. Zerubbabel is a man who cares about God's presence with his people and will work, will see to see it restored, paving the way and pointing forward to a greater glory to come. An interesting and notable addition to the list is who God is speaking to comes after Zerubbabel and then Joshua. We see it included there, all the remnant of the people. It's clear all the people are included and so they all need to listen up. God is speaking, so of course it's important, but the people need to be aware. God wants his people to know his voice and be obedient. And immediately they're called to consider what has happened before. And I think that Haggai is with them. And I think he's actually there at the site of the old temple when he's saying this. Look at verse 3. First we see a word play between the word remnant in verse 2 and then the who is left among you in verse 3. But then Haggai, you can almost see him standing there at the ruins asking this. Who saw this house, this house, this one right here? In its former glory. Which one of you? We'll see glory used three times in this chapter and two of the three times here. Then in verse 9, it's conveying some sort of honor or something special. It's meaning the the awe and the wonder of it. We're going to look at verse 7. While we're there, we'll see that it's referring to God's special presence. Faced with a huge task it's clear that people were discouraged about the new temple how it would compare to the old I think there really were some of this original crowd in front of Haggai listening and receiving this message that would have truly seen the old temple otherwise I think we'd not see Haggai asking who saw it the temple is too important it's in the mind and the history and the heritage of each person there So if all those people had died, he would just be saying, as we all know, that the temple was glorious. He wouldn't be calling out to those saying, which one of you remembers? God God is very much here making the point to them that this old temple, it's gone. It's nothing in their eyes anymore. He's confirming and closing this chapter in their history. What I think he is doing in this is confirmed in the next verse, that he's wanting them to look forward. He's helping them deal with the grief, the disappointment. 
of what had happened, but to do so by looking forward, looking to him, trusting in him. It's the same with us as we consider our yesterdays, as you think about your todays, as you uh, ponder upon your tomorrows. It's the same with that area of your life that as you stand and look at, it perhaps isn't as you would like it to be. That's where right there at that point where God is calling you to look to him, who he is, what he has done. As we remind ourselves of the gospel as our new realities in Christ and we trust him. Maybe for you that's as you look at the way that you've parented your children. As you look at where you're at in your career right now. Or as you think about how far away from home you are from your family. Or perhaps it's that you drove alone here to church this morning and you really wish there was someone special sat there beside you. Whether you feel unfulfilled this morning or disappointed or dissatisfied, I hope these verses bring encouragement to you. Especially for verse 4, if you're a Christian here today, it is, it is applicable to you and your life. Look there with me as we dig into this hope and encouragement that God is giving to his people here. And hopefully we too can drink from this same well together. In our second point, point two, the power of God's presence. The power of God's presence. Just a small side note, a top tip from me if you're reading the Bible this week or any other week is to stop and look when you see the same word or phrase repeated. Verse 4, we see that happening. Be strong, be strong, be strong, coming three times for us. We see, I'm just going to point out the obvious, we see a call to be strong to the leaders and to the people in their struggles and in their worries. But friends, this is not an empty promise. This is not just a a pat on the back from God. This is not just a pep talk from him because the work on the temple had slowed. Verses 4 and 5 for us, they're jam-packed with history, God's promises, God's presence. This is the language they, they knew. This is the language they understood Work, for I am with you. This, friends, this is huge. This is incredible. He's telling them. He's confirming with them. He's reminding them that he is with them. This is not new information. This is the same language and phrasing we've seen when the previous temple was being built by Solomon. And this is the same phrase we see used to encourage Joshua When he had great tasks and challenges set before him, this is the same God, the same presence, the same promises, and the same power. It's the same with us, friends. Big things happen, even small things. And our heads drop. We go down. We forget that God is in total control. He is in total control. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, a disappointment, a challenge, a heartbreak, a frustration, a discouragement, I want you to know this, that through the help of the Holy Spirit, I want you to know 
and for this to be an encouragement to you. God can and God will help you with that. Knowing that he is with you, friends, this should change everything. I was talking with a friend this week right about exactly this. That as we look at the news, as we see tensions rise and as we see empires fall, as they always have done, we should not fear. God is in control. We and the Israelites here need that reminder. I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. And he doesn't just stop there. I've already promised this to you. And I did the same things when life was difficult in Egypt. And he carries on. My spirit remains in you. Fear not. Wow, I hope you caught that. I can just imagine Haggai writing this down as he received it from the Lord and then reciting it to the people. Eyes just wide open. This is one of the, friends, this is one of the the strongest guarantees of God's presence that we see in the whole Old Testament. God is saying, I am here with you. My spirit is with you as it has been, as you know and as your relations have known. That's why he's using the word remains. God is with them, meaning he is helping them and guiding them. He is in total control. He's in control over the building of the temple. He's in control over the relationship you are in. He's control over the studies that you are doing right now that never seem to end. He's in control of your family back home that you haven't seen for a while or he's in control of that family member who is sick right now. He's in control of all the good things in your life. All things come from him. Friends, how tempting is it to take credit for all the the seemingly good stuff in your life? The good things that happen, the promotions, the relationships, the good stuff. How tempting is it for us to say, look at what I have done. And then turn to God. Turn away from God and blame him or turn to him and ask for help when things are tough friends do you know do you truly understand that the good the bad the easy the hard God is in control of it all he knows what he's doing friends he has got you and he's not just out there kind of doing things, but verse 5 reminds us he's in our midst by his Spirit. There is nothing to fear. It's a great privilege of mine to be a dad and a, a husband, and I get to experience just a glimpse of that when I go away from time to time. We're so glad you're home. We're so glad you're back. The house feels safe at night. All these little things. But friends, when we understand that God is with us and for us and in our midst, as he's reminding the Israelites here, this should be a game changer for us. His spirit remains, verse 5 says. I think of the word abide here and all that means for God's people. As he is with us, 
abiding in his intimacy. A sense of closeness, it's safety and security. How much more than just that person who makes you feel that in your day-to-day life should we consider when God is close to us, Lord God Almighty, King over all things. He is the one that has drawn near. Let me ask you, friends, do you draw close to God? In his mercy, he has invited you to have a life with him through Jesus Christ. But do you know that? Do you pursue that? I was laughing with another friend recently as they really wanted to get fit. So they bought, of course, a 12-month gym membership. They went twice. They haven't been back. Now, let me ask you a question. Are they a member of that gym? Yes, they are still a member of that gym, truly. But are they enjoying all the benefits of the gym? Are they getting the accountability, the the physical change, the physical benefits? No, of course not. Of course, this isn't a perfect illustration, but I told them, and it's the same for you and your relationship with God, it's not too late. Start tomorrow, start today. What about this afternoon? What about this evening? Will there be some people that look and wonder why maybe you haven't been there in a while? Maybe we have to relearn some of the disciplines that you need, yes. Does God want relationship with you? Yes, he does. He loves it when we spend time in his word. He wants us to be reading and studying our Bibles and coming before him in wonder and praise, in prayer, inviting him into your every day, bringing your whole life before him, trusting him, praising him, worshiping him. Friends, it's your relationship with God that you have to start. Stop looking at all the outward signs, your evangelism, or the amount of studies, Bible studies that you've been to or not been to. Begin with God. Begin with God, for He is with you. Christian is not just someone, is someone, sorry, who loves God, not just doing Christian things. Christian is someone who loves God, not just doing Christian things. Everything else comes from our worship and our work to know him. He hasn't changed. For my friend, the gym hadn't moved. The doors are still open. Don't delay. Come, friends, to God today. Run to him. Begin by praising his name. We each need to understand that there is no way we could do this on our own, that it's God that first declares that we are his people and that he is our God, that all these things are by faith and in obedience to God and what he has done. Friends, without God, there is utter uncertainty around us. You only have to look at the news for a minute to be in your workplace for one day or live in any nation, including this one. We look around the world and we know that we cannot 
fully rely and trust our leaders and politicians for our security. As you look at other religions, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, they're all saying that we just need to work hard to appease and please other false gods. But with Yahweh, with here, the God of the Bible, the Lord of hosts, friends, it's he that declares that he is with his people. He that has made a covenant with his people. And he that we see here in our next verses will build his temple and fill it with his glory. If you look at verses 6 to 9, we see our third point. The prestige and peace of God. The prestige and peace of God. As we look there, we see how God's presence is promised and that his house will be restored. And not just restored, but this promise in verse 9. It's prestige, it's glory will be even greater than before. It would have been something just unthinkable to the people standing there looking at the ruins with little on their tables and little in their pockets. God's authority is clear in this whole section. We see his name, Lord of hosts, repeated five times. He is the Lord. He is in control. This is his house. He is sovereign. He, meaning he is ruling and reigning no matter what the circumstances or possibilities look like. Friends, we're reminded that he has done the impossible before and he will do it again. This is why in verse 6 we see that phrase, once more in a little while. He has proven himself. We know what he will do. In Egypt, in the desert, in the land of Canaan, after the exile, and he will do it again. And we here today know more than these guys did. We stand on this side of history and the cross, and we know that what God has done through Jesus Christ and sending his only son. Friends, we need to remind ourselves daily that God is with us. He has guaranteed his presence with us, and his kingdom will be established by him with his people. And what is he going to use for his temple and his kingdom? What we see here is going to use anything he wants. For it's all his. He uses the word shake here in verse 6 to tell us of how the silver and gold from the nations will be brought about and used for this new temple. I think here for the original listeners, this really did mean gold and silver. I think it's talking about the building of this temple, but we also, we now know the, the messianic links, meaning the links to a Messiah that would come, coming through Haggai 2. But initially in Jerusalem, God is establishing his physical temple here again after the exile for his glory. It's only he, only the God of the universe that has the ability to shake it's a powerful word. Everything. Shake everything we know and we see. It says the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. That's everything. In this whole world. He has created 
all things. He is the ruler of all things. And it's all for his glory. This house will be built. We know that for a fact. And as he says, but we, have, we now know it is confirmed in history. This temple was built and God uses it and uses the wealth of the nations, meaning those outside of Israel, to do so. And we see these people know they're told it's going to be great. It's going to be greater than the last one. It's just wild, unimaginable for those people standing in the ruins. So shocking to the Israelites hearing this word from Haggai. How? How can this be? And all this wealth, it's not for Israel, it's all for God. There will be wealth and glory and silver and gold, but all these things, all these resources are for the glory of God. What a marvel it would have been for them, stood in the rubble to know for certain that despite the mess all around them, and we, each of us, know what this feels like, despite all of the mess around them, God has said it will be. What a marvel. So we see the house will be built and right there in the middle of seven, don't we need to miss that short phrase that God says and how significant this is. And I will fill this house with glory. This is the second type of glory we mentioned earlier. There is honor and distinction type of glory and then there is presence of God type of glory. And now and again for uh, my job here, I get to go to the royal court of Ras al-Khaimah for various permissions and assistance, and that really is a really cool experience. Honestly, it's great fun. It's amazing to go there. It's formal. It's clearly a special place. But I've yet to meet the sheikh. He's not the one sitting behind the desk or sitting with a stamp, stamping the documents I need. How different would it be if he turned up while I was there? That would be a radically different experience. And this is, there is some of that here. I think the temple is great and the temple will be glorious, clearly full of gold and silver. For for it to be filled with the glory of God. Wow. Wow. What a difference his presence makes. I hope your mind does begin to hear some of what is going on here. God will build his temple where it will be full of his presence and he will use the nations and the Israelites to do so. Let those words just linger there for a second. Temple, presence, nations, people, presence, peace. looks back to Abraham and the promises of God, but it also, here, we're looking forward to a time where one will come who will truly be the temple of God, who will provide for an exiled and enslaved people, the broken and the needy, the rich and the poor, the glory from all the nations for the glory and honor 
of God. Friends, under this covenant, we see how God has declared that when people are obedient, there will be abundance. And when they are not, there will be curses. That was clear last week in Haggai 1. We know now, though, through the coming of Christ, that in the gospel, that we have been given the new covenant, one that he will keep through and by himself that has been sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Friend, it's in this new covenant through Jesus Christ that we receive all the blessings of this covenant, not the material, not in anything that can rust or moth destroy, not in this physical temple that can crumble and fall, but in a kingdom that cannot fail. All these things are given to us through Christ. They are found in Christ, sealed by his Holy Spirit. Friends, we are now given a new heart if we trust in Jesus Christ. We receive new life with our identities sealed for us in a new kingdom, moved from darkness to light, a kingdom that will never fade. Friends, this life, Here, thankfully, even all the gold and silver is not it. None of it compares to what God will provide for us in this next life, in this new kingdom for all those that stand on that side to enjoy. All those that have trusted Jesus Christ. Friends, there is no other way to be saved. The certainty we have and the avoidance of curses that we now Enjoy this covenant that God himself has promised to keep. Mean that the gold and silver of this world no longer carry any weight. What once was truly precious and glorious now gives way to something that we will see with eyes of faith. If you have trusted and repented of your sin and followed Jesus Christ. Friends, you have that opportunity this morning, if you don't know Christ, to turn to him. An invitation extended to many sinners to come and repent. Follow follow Christ. Trust in a kingdom provided for you that will never fail. Where one day all people will worship him who have trusted Christ. Friends, to... There are two options before every person to either trust Christ and experience eternity with him or to turn from him and be without him, without the presence of God in ruins, in eternal dissatisfaction, eternal disappointment, eternal rejection and punishment. Turn to Christ. It's only in his kingdom that we know uh, that this hope is certain and sure, for it is found in Christ and is established in and by God. It's through the work, finished work of Jesus on the cross that an exiled people, that's me and you, who because of our own sin have turned from God. We've run away, turned from his presence, yet God in his love has come to us Many of us here today and declared, we've heard, I am with you and I am in 
your midst. We've seen how he has shaken the nations and what he has done in bringing them for his glory. We see that as blessing reminded us wonderfully here in our congregation. As I speak to those from Uganda or as I pray with someone from the Philippines or as I drink coffee uh, this week with someone from India or we welcome in a few weeks maybe a new member from America. It's such a joy and a reminder here at Rack Evangelical to see how God through Jesus Christ and his perfect sacrifice has brought many sons and daughters to himself. That he is building his church here in the UAE, a place so alien to the gospel that, of course, of course it would be here that we're seeing him shake and use the nations for his glory. Friends, this is what he does. In a moment as we gather together around the Lord's table together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're going to be singing about feasting in the house of Zion. Friends, this is because if you've trusted Christ, you know for certain the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. You know for certain of the new life in him, in eternity, in Zion, a place where our hearts have been restored. It is there that we will perfectly know God's presence. It's there we will begin to deeper understand his awesome power and bask in all his glory forever. Friends, we, I hope, look forward to that day.